0: Welcome to the He Shoots, He Draws podcast, the show about photography and design with your hosts, Glyn Dewis and Dave Clayton. Hi, welcome to He Shoots, He Draws. It's another interview this week and we've got a really good friend of ours who I've known for 10 years now. Um, he was at my first Photoshop World uh, his name's Rob Sylvan, and he's just the loveliest guy and so knowledgeable. He's a great photographer. He's written books. Uh, he knows everything about Lightroom. He's worked for Nap and Kelby One on the help desk for Lightroom. But Rob is just such a, such a lovely bloke, um, and I wanted to get him on for a while. Um, Alan Hess has uh, very kindly stepped in. As my co-host. Um, so he'll be joining us on a couple of episodes while Glenn's away doing his um, camera club webinars. Um so thanks to Alan. So Alan joined me on this one as the photographer, so we fulfill our he shoots he draws obligation of photography and design. And it was just a really lovely casual interview, a chat about Rob's life, his background, um, how we all got together because we're all connected. Uh, rob's actually been a moderator for me and alan at photoshop world when we were teaching and rob's also gone on to teach at adobe max and it, it was just a joy to listen to it went on for about an hour and 15 minutes and well worth a listen so um hope everyone's keeping safe and staying well you know listen to what the news is telling you don't listen to um anybody who hasn't got the facts so uh stay indoors stay safe listen to podcasts learn new skills Uh, Rob's got a few good suggestions as well. So um, we'll see you next time and thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to a very special edition of He Shoots He Draws. And the reason why it's special is not because we've got a lovely guest today, but also because this is the first episode where I've got a different co-host. I've got a different He Shoots. And who better than the first person that was ever a guest on He Shoots He Draws, Mr Alan Hess. So, welcome Alan, thanks for stepping in. It's my pleasure. I'll I'll put clapping audio on oh, no, this. <laughs> um, and our guest today is Rob Sylvan, who's a really good friend of ours. Um, I'm going to let Rob just give a brief introduction, but um, yes, it's just lovely to see you, Rob. We're all obviously locked away at the moment and can't really do much, so um, just tell everyone who you are, briefly, quickly. All
1: right. Hey Dave uh, and Alan, good to see you guys both and hear your voices. Uh, yeah, I, I'm I guess mostly a teacher uh, these days or an educator. I don't know what the right word is. I do teach at a college, but I also do a lot of educational stuff, in the form of writing and both books and blogs, and I do video training and stuff like that. So, educator as the big, in, in the in the photography world uh, of education. And uh, I, I aspire to be a beekeeper. That's my other thing. I've been.
0: Oh, cool! Oh, we will come on to that later uh, then. Yeah. So. So obviously we're friends through uh, what was the NAPP. Um, and say you know, I so said I met Alan the first time. In fact, this is our tenth anniversary this year, this September. Aww. Um, <laughs> I know it's sweet, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but obviously you know, I, as because I'm not a photographer, um, bizarrely I still knew a lot of photographers in the world of NAPP, and you've just kind of always been there. So this was for me more of I, I wanted to sort of know a bit of Rob before I knew you at NAPP like what you came out of college what did you want to do yeah um, we'll talk about that and then we'll sort of start with our with our joint kind of adventure with with NAP that's like moved forward that we're now authors and educators and so um yeah what what was young Rob <laughs> who, who did, well, <laughs> I, um... roll back all those decades
1: yeah that was a lot, it was quite a while ago I'm, I'm not quite as old as you guys, <laughs> <laughs> but only by a year or so. Uh, so out of out of high school, I rolled right into the Navy. I, I turned 18 in boot camp in uh, way back in 1985. So that's how old I am. And then uh, I spent six years in, and it was really uh, amazing for me, you know, to have that period of when you're 18 to 24. Uh, is a pretty big developmental period, even though you think you're an adult, you know, in hindsight you're not, but, um, you know, to kind of grow up in that experience of living on a ship and seeing the world, that's really why I went in, and, and I did, I really, I I almost went around the entire globe on a ship, and two different ships actually, and um, I got to live in Southern California for a period of time, a little north of where Allen is, and uh, did stop in, in San Diego. But uh, yeah, I got to go to Australia for their Bicentennial. Can't see it up off camera. I've got this big panoramic photo of a photographer at the time, back in uh, 1988, during their Bicentennial, went up in a helicopter and with a film camera did a panoramic wow. shot of Sydney Harbor with all the ships in the harbor. And um, as a, as a young lad of uh, 19, I managed to buy a poster while walking around Sydney, and I managed to keep it, not lose it, in a tube for 30 years, and my wife gave it to me framed for my 50th birthday. Oh, and so wow. I had that up there as a reminder of that uh, time. And um, actually, this shirt is very much like my Navy <laughs> uniform shirt. <laughs> um, when I got out of the Navy, uh, I I could have gone anywhere in the world. And I was, at the time, single, and I had a car, and I was going to go to college. I had this idea of going to college, but I really was kind of wide open. And I ended up landing here in New Hampshire, visiting a friend who I had been stationed with in California. And I just haven't left, and I've been here since 91. And I kind of fell into uh, going to college uh, at the University of New Hampshire into Uh, outdoor education was my undergraduate degree
0: so you were a late student then you were an older student if you left the navy in 24 I was was a
1: a, a non-traditional student as they say and yeah and and I I don't regret it at all I because I I kind of I kind of skipped the 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 romantic fantasy uh, version of college where you're living on campus and you're doing all the fun party stuff and I just went to school and I worked full time and I put myself to school. So it's not very sexy, but it, you know, it was effective. <laughs> <laughs>
0: what did you go there for? What did you want to
1: learn? Well, what? I was, I was there, um, you know, somewhat by like chance in that I was, I ended up moving in with my buddy who was living here and I fell in love with this area because it's so close to so many things. I grew up in New York, outside New York city in New Jersey and, uh, it's just a few hours' drive down there. Boston's an hour away. The mountains are an hour away. The coast is just a half hour from here. So it had all these all these things that I loved, and it had. What, living in New England is so nice because you get you get the peak, iconic version of every season, right? You have to suffer through the winter. You have to suffer through other parts of other seasons, but you get the most picturesque what you imagine like winter to be you know those uh, uh, christmas time or you get that most amazing fall that you imagine fall to look like and and june is actually my favorite time of year because that's when we've just endured the brown and grays of winter and even still here at the almost the end of april there still isn't leaves on the trees like we're like so ready for beautiful weather to come and then all of a sudden it's here and everybody's you're just outside, and it's 50 degrees, but we're wearing shorts. Well, you know, Alan, you wear shorts all the time, but yeah. um, you know, it's just amazing. So it, I, I love that part of, of living here. So I started going to Uni- University of New Hampshire, and I was working um, at a group home for teens who were transitioning from hospital where they were in, in for usually um, issues with mental health. And in working in this place, it was a great schedule because it was only four days on and three days off. And it was four kind of long afternoon hours, days. And so it allowed me to go to school and work. And in doing that, we were doing all these adventure-based activities with these kids as a therapeutic um, treatment. And I loved it. I loved doing it. And so UNH has an outdoor education program. So I went into that. And I uh, was doing... Uh, ropes course, and trip leading, and things like that. And I love that part of education and I ended up getting my master's degree in elementary ed thinking I was going to go on into kind of traditional teaching. But then I kind of fell into technology too and that was right around you know that early um, 90s when digital was a thing. And all of a sudden I, I got a digital camera uh, because my son was on the way, uh, and, you know, towards the early 2000s, and I just kind of fell in love with that aspect of things, and um, that kind of led me into uh, Photoshop world. Um, oh, right. And I was going
0: to ask, when, when was the first camera picked yeah, up? Like, what, was, when so did you fall in love with that?
1: My, my son was born in 2001, so it was in 2000, we got a digital camera, knowing this stork was going to be visiting us uh in a while and it was a three megapixel point and shoot kodak camera show off and uh (laughs) and i loved it and all of a sudden i'm taking pictures of all kinds of stuff and i was working uh at that time so i had finished my master's degree my wife and i took a big cross-country trip and it was kind of separated from work and things like that it was wonderful back when you could travel and do stuff like that um But I ended up getting a a temporary job that became a full-time job, working in a place that was doing, transitioning from what was the big thing, CD-ROM-based training (laughs) to the new big thing, which was web-based training. And they thought the the internet was gonna be this big thing. The the camera. Yeah, so I got this three megapixel camera, and I'm taking pictures of all kinds of stuff while working at this company that was making these web-based training classes. And I was an dis- instructional designer. That was my role there. So I was spending all this time thinking about images and thinking about how you would create those images. And while we occasionally had budgets for stock, I mean, for uh, photo shoots, we often didn't have a budget for that. So we used a lot of stock imagery. And at the time, stock imagery came on a CD-ROM in a big, giant yeah. book. And you would page <laughs> through this book to get the number, and then you'd go pull the disc in, and you'd find the thumbnail. Well, around that time, I started searching online to see if there was online sources of that, and that was pretty new back then. There wasn't a whole lot, and not like it is today. And I came across a company called iStockphoto that was brand new, and it was owned by a guy who was a photographer who owned a web hosting company and a graphic design company. And he put this together as really a resource for other web designers and it kind of took off. Um, you know, fast forward, in, two, in 2006, iStockphoto was purchased by Getty Images for $50 million. <laughs> wow. So it really it really went crazy. I remember and that. I ended, up, I ended up representing them at their first ever trade show at Photoshop World in 2004. And so that's the long and short of it of how i got into your world into meeting you guys
0: and oh wow so so you were first on the expo floor you're at photoshop world so pre, let, let's go straight into that then yep. so you you're at the event did you know what photoshop world was at that point or were you just going cold
1: I, I went in cold i totally did, had no no exposure to that world literally but I loved it. We we shared a booth. So iStock Photo at the time. It was our first ever trade show. We shared a booth. We split the cost of a booth with Colin Smith. From <laughs> okay. <Photoshop Cafe. laughs> and so Colin was on one side. We were on the other. And so I've known Colin, you know, ever since. That's how I, I met him. And But being in the trade show floor side of, of that event, I got to meet all these other vendors and got to know all the other people in the industry, people in the publishing industry. And, um... It was really educational for me, and so doing the stock photography thing as what as coming in as from the design side, even though I wasn't a graphic designer, I was in that role yeah. of thinking about images from the designer side, um, and then meeting everyone in the industry from that side of things really informed photography for me in a way that um, most of the people I see coming into photography, you know, don't have that benefit of, and I think. Some of the most successful photographers I know have that graphic design background or experience that really helps them to be visual communicators, right?
0: Yeah, and Yeah, I'll get that.
1: As you come into photography strictly from the technical side, which I love of the being the gear guy, um, sometimes that's a, a piece that's lacking and, and it's, uh, it's worthwhile investi- investing some time in the design side of things to learn that that language. And so that really helped kind of those pieces come together for me to, to learn that uh, and experience from that side of things as a consumer of images too, not just a creator of, of images. Um, and, and that was fascinating. And, and getting to, to, to be exposed to Photoshop World when it was called NAP, um, I immediately spent my $99 and got my membership to be a NAP member. And I want to say within six months, I got one of those NAP Newswires. Remember those old Yeah, I remember. And in it, they were uh, advertising for a help desk position for Photoshop. They needed someone to do a Photoshop help desk. And it was all um, work from home, basically. It was all email-based. And I thought, I'm a Photoshop. I should try that. And so I emailed in to get the uh, application or whatever. and didn't know what I'd be in for. And it was really the best job (laughs) interview ever, because they didn't ask for resume or references or any kind of credentials. All they did was they said, here's 50 of the most common questions we get on the help desk. Answer these as if you were replying to one of our members. Don't just give us the answer, but actually reply as if you were replying to someone seeking help. Yeah. And I did. And I just, you know, went through it and I sent it in. And I got hired to, to be a Photoshop help desk person for, for an app.
0: Who interviewed you? Just out of interest? No one. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> you no just one you didn't <laughs> even get the interview. They just you sent just... me the question.
1: And so Peter Bauer at the time was the, help, was the Photoshop help desk. He was the entirety of it. And yeah. he was needing help because of the volume going up. And so we were really, I, I, myself and another person came on to kind of help take off some of his load. So he was the guy tasked with it. Well, at the time, Larry Becker was the guy running that. So that's how I got to know Larry. And uh, Larry Becker is a great guy who yeah. you know, uh, ha- has just been phenomenal you know, to me over the years. And um, I said to Larry, who was also very much involved in Photoshop World at the time, I said, Larry, you know, I really love uh, Photoshop World. If you ever need help there, let, you know, let me know. I'd love to help out. And so he's like, well, you could be a moderator. And I was like, what the heck's a moderator? He said, don't worry about it, just show up. Just come uh, to Photoshop World and I'll, we'll explain it. And so basically we're the, we're the AV geek squad of uh, Photoshop World is kind of what we were at the time. We would run around and set up the projectors and things like that. That role has evolved since then, but I haven't miss, I've only missed one Photoshop World since 2004 because I've either worked on the trade show floor, or worked as a staff member at every event uh, since. And then, you know, from doing the help desk at Photoshop, when Lightroom came out in uh, two thousand seven, Nap made the decision that, that they would add Lightroom, as it was called then, not, Light, not hmm. Lightroom Classic. They would add Lightroom to the help desk, and Peter Bauer said, "Well, I don't have any interest in Lightroom. I am a Photoshop guy. I you do all the Lightroom stuff, and I will do all the Photoshop stuff." And so, we we kind of split off, and I became the Lightroom help desk, and uh, and it was great. I never looked back because uh, I then got to write for the magazine for what was then Photoshop User Magazine, now spun off to Lightroom Magazine, and then I got my first opportunity to write a book, which was Lightroom for Dummies for version two of Lightroom, and I'd never written a book before. But uh, I got asked to do it, and I, I said yes, even though I was scared to death uh, uh, of doing it. Which
0: publisher was that with? Because obviously, Kelby's so close-knit to Peach Pit, and obviously oh. now Rick Nook. So, but the Dummies... The dummies it's Wiley.
2: Uh, it's through Wiley. Wiley, yet. yeah. yeah. So, that's that's my original publisher as well. <laughs> that's right. And, and those, dummies, right. those yeah. dummies books were an interesting um, breed of, of books, because they were very, very uh, regimented and... You had a a very strict template and voice that you had to use on them. I found it incredibly difficult to uh, stay in stay inside the lines when it. I I didn't write one of the dummies books, but I helped out on one of them and edited it, and I found it really uh, quite a challenge to not um, not go a little nutty on that. So uh, yeah, no, you're right. You're absolutely right.
1: Because when you think about any dummies book, almost everyone's heard of them. And you may have one on your shelf for, I've got one for beekeeping. You know, there's one for, but you don't, you have no idea who the author is of that book, right? Most likely. They're just, it's just a yellow book on whatever topic it is that you're interested in and who, who the hell knows or cares who wrote it, right? And they do have, they try to have that voice that really, it could be the same person who wrote all of them. We just don't, we just don't even know. Um, but what well, the upside of it was, was it kind of opened up a new world for me and a new opportunity. And then you have this thing. And, uh, I know you know, now you're, as a published author, uh, Dave, you know what it's like. You have this thing in your hand and now people... It's fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's a it's it's totally, great. totally different thing. And yeah, when I first you know met Alan, I got to know him and, and found out he had this Wiley connection. And I think we maybe even had one of the same editors at some point, because I had done a, another book through Wiley, too. Um, yeah, it does open up other, other doors for you, and, and I think that's really important. And I think, you know, as I think about today in this current environment that we're in, um, one thing that has really helped me over the years is, is to keep developing multiple income streams that are related, but not necessarily all the same or, or dependent upon each other
0: yeah i know what you mean i i i was just saying today i was chatting to someone else on a podcast and i said it's really funny when i think back to the years i was a designer or a web designer and it, a web designer was always more lucrative than graphic design it, you always seem to be able to get paid really well for a web for a website but really paid really poorly for a logo yeah. um the i forgot i lost my train of thought there i'll come back to it <laughs> having multiple streams of income <laughs> yes yeah so i'll just rewind it yeah so i was saying that when i used to do it i wasn't i wasn't paid great now i write about it i'm paid more so i actually <laughs> earn more money from teaching from telling people how to do it and writing how to do it than when i was actually doing it and uh, and i think you know but the three of us here we're all over 50 now Um, we're at a point where you two are established authors you've got you know a shelf full of books and you've probably written about 15 and Alan's written about 100 (laughs) yeah (laughs) but I just I enjoy that more now yeah and we'll come on to your educator thing but like you say that first book all of a sudden you've got you've got a a font of knowledge and then someone puts that trust in you to put that down in paper for somebody to read Is, did you get that? Because I know Alan's been like, oh, that book, you know, broke my balls. <laughs> but well, yeah, I mean, there's,
1: <laughs> there's, yeah, I think Alan would agree. There's nothing harder that I've ever done than writing a book for, for multiple reasons. It's, you know, it's a typically it's a self-imposed. I mean, the, the publisher gives you deadlines for sure, but you, you've got to put your own deadlines or you're not going to get <laughs> anything done. And um, nothing feels better than turning in that last chapter. But nothing feels worse than all the other days that led led up to that.
0: Now, the worst days are chapter one coming back after you've handed in the last one. Yeah, it's it's it's, there's a form of amnesia
2: you get like when the book is done and you turn it in and then especially when you get that box delivered to your house and you open it up and there are the actual printed copies of your book and they're sitting in front of you and you're like, oh, my God, that's just amazing. Um, You forget. How hard it was to get to that point, and so you're like, "All right, I'll do another one." Exactly, and, and then you yes. stare at the screen, you know, <laughs> chapter one, word one, and it's a blank word document, and you're like, "Oh man, why did I?" D-? And three months later, four months, whatever it takes, you're suddenly like, "Oh yeah, that
1: was awesome, huh?" Oh.
2: Exactly.
1: And then yeah, my, wife, my wife, my wife tries to remind me of that. She's like, "Remember how hard that was?"
0: I'm like, "No, I don't." I don't yeah yeah do you, do you remember having that baby <laughs> <laughs> you had another one <laughs> so what was the you obviously wrote the, the um lightroom for dummies so what was your next step in in publishing for as a book writer what what came next because well, obviously you're now on the help desk you're now the lightroom guy
1: well interestingly it was something totally different and and it was because of photoshop world like i tell people when i tell like my students stuff i can trace back just about anything I'm doing professionally now to going to Photoshop World in 2004. And the connections that I made to people in the industry whole. And yeah. many of them were the vendors. And so it's like, if you go to, if you go to any trade show, whatever your, whatever your trade you're in, go to those shows because you're gonna meet the people who are looking for other people to do things related to that industry. And they are always looking for more people to do things because more authors or more people who do whatever it is your trade is, I mean, that's where you meet the people that make those decisions. And when they're thinking of, like, someone for a new project, they go, who was I? La- who was last in front of me? That's kind of how we work, right? Yeah, you think of, like, much. who did I last see five minutes ago? All right, that's the person I'm going to ask to do this job because they seem like a decent person or whatever their criteria is. And so it was at one of these Photoshop worlds. I got to meet uh, a, one of the editors from Peach Pit, um, and her name is Nikki and she at the time was uh, working for Peachpit, and she was wonderful and I was telling her some stories about stock photography and she's like oh that would be a good thing for a book and so I did a book called Taking Stock and it was all about preparing images for uh, submission to uh, stock libraries and in doing that book Nikki was in <coughs> kind of handed me off to uh, there was a book that a series that Peachbit was doing uh, snapshots to from snapshots to great, to great shots. shots. Yeah. And she's like, oh, you would be great for doing this series. And so I got to do a number of books through that series on the Nikon books. I mean, Nikon cameras. And it was just all of like, oh, you we know you from this. We think you can do that. How about you try this? And and so on. And so then I did a, um, a number of those books. And then Wiley Kind of reached out to, to update a different Lightroom book because one of their uh, one of their authors didn't want to continue it anymore, and so that's kind of how it's been. It's like once you start to make those connections, uh, as long as you kind of follow through, <laughs> uh, you have hmm. an opportunity to potentially do more with those folks over time.
0: How do you two find? Because obviously, I wrote about a sub a, a like Lightroom, Photoshop, and I've done InDesign. How do you two cope with writing a book about a very specific camera because is it an instruction manual or or are you kind of showing this camera takes this these kind of photos better because i i know alan writes that the camera books i mean how different is that because you're writing about is it just like this button does this this button does that do you just know that you have to learn the camera to be able to write the book or well, oh, I think, Ellen, yeah. I think
1: you've probably written more of those books from scratch
2: than I have. Uh, my, first, my first book I ever wrote for Wiley was on a Sony a700. It had just come out. This is pre-Murlis back in, the, in just you know straight digital days. And um, they approached me um, from my blog, which I had gotten a big boost from Lexar. And I met Lexar at a trade show in San Diego. So it was one of those things at a trade show floor. I talked to Lexar people. The next thing I know is they're asking me to do a blog for them. From that, it led to this uh, editor contacting me. And she said, could you write a book on a Sony camera? And I was like, sure, why not? I I had no idea if I could write a book on a Sony camera or not. But I was self-employed. And I figured I'm going to be rich and famous from writing a book. (laughs) Um, uh, obviously i need to tell anyone who thinks they're going to get rich and famous from writing a camera book that does not happen um No, no so uh after that i um i sat down and i started writing a chapter on exposure just how to expose and i sent it in to them as a sample and they sent it back all edited and marked up and i'm and i was livid i walked around the house how could they how could they do this to my writing how could you know all this stuff happen um so i i was livid i'm walking around the house i'm ranting and raving how could they do this to my writing my wife is looking at me and she says um have you read their comments and i went no she, she goes, she goes you, you should probably read their comments so yeah. i um I did. And they were right. They had improved my writing. It made more sense. I had a good editor. And uh, I sat down with the camera and I have a, I'm lucky I have a technical mind. So I just kind of worked my way through camera, how the camera works, camera settings. And I've done a couple of books on Sony. I've done a, I've done an icon book for um, Wiley as well. And then I've worked on a couple of Olympus books uh, for Rocky Nook now, not as the, not as the author, but as a, a tech editor, helpful guy just coming in and 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 working on them and i find it um i find it very uh it's mechanical so i don't have to be creative you take the creative side out of it and you just become uh, an engineer and you tell everyone what every button does how it does it and then you try to show decent examples of what the settings can do and um i have other books where i try to have be a little more creative and i can talk about that side of it but you know uh, i'm fascinated because rob didn't come into this as a photographer you came into this as a guy using pictures who then decided to go take your own pictures which is very different to how most photographers you know their thing goes along um yeah yeah what a great photographer you (laughs) are i
0: mean i I was looking at your website because i mean, obviously knowing you from photoshop world and I my my story with Photoshop World only starts around two thousand eight, two thousand and nine. So by then, like I said, I already knew you, I already knew And Just out of interest, what was the first Photoshop World you two met at?
1: Boy, they all blend together. Um I you mean, know, I was working as a moderator probably since maybe like two thousand and six or so. I I and went
2: I'm sure I went in two thousand like one and, and um, and then I was back in 2009, so it'd be 2009 when, when we met was the yeah, first one and then that I, I came
1: into. I got to um, moderate several times your concert photography pre-con, and that's probably when I got to spend the most time just absorbing your wisdom and getting <laughs> to know you in that, uh, in that arena, but yeah, I mean, you know, they... And is just getting older or
2: not? But they all just—they
1: all tend to blend into one.
2: <laughs> yeah, they—they they did. And and um, but just to be clear, as a moderator in a classroom, when we when we were doing a um, the, so there's anywhere between fifty people in the pre-con to hundreds of people in a regular session, and the moderators, uh, at least for me, they were the lifeline in the back of the room. If someone was having a real issue, you could you know you could kind of point to them, and the moderator would come in and, and take care of it. And the ultimate. I mean, reversal is that now Rob's teaching it like Adobe Max, and I was a TA in his class, so the role. No, that's, yeah, I was going <laughs> to was
0: was awesome. come on to that because yeah. Rob's actually moderated both of us at Photoshop yep. World, yep. and I remember having a sitting down, having a conversation in the uh, like the green room. And and at the time I wasn't an instructor. I was just like there with Glenn. I was the, I was the one that when people saw me they would go, "Hi, Dave. How you doing? Where's Glynn <laughs> <laughs> So it's quite nice now to not be the where's Glynn guy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and obviously people were teaching. Like Matt was teaching Lightroom. Uh, I think RC was probably teaching Lightroom. And I and I remember you coming up in conversation, and and I I remember saying, "Why why is Rob?" like your Lightroom guy but he's not teaching at photoshop well it doesn't i don't get it what do you have to do to be a instructor at this event and and i think it was i mean i i can only speak for for my you know my own thoughts is i think sometimes when somebody's right under your nose they don't they don't automatically think well you know like rob's always rob's always been a moderator in the same way i was always you know i i i've kind of get pigeonholed doing something so i was so pleased when not only you did your first photoshop world training but you then teach it adobe max yeah that was amazing
1: and you know to, to, you know, to be fair when i got into you know being um, you know first on the help desk in lightroom lightroom is just it just existed nobody knew more about lightroom than anybody else because we all were learning it you know as we at the went. same time yeah and and then you know back in those days Uh, when NAP, you know, was kind of bigger and growing, you know, they had awesome people like Matt and RC as part of the regular in-house staff, not to mention Scott. They didn't need one more Lightroom guy to come in and teach at Photoshop World when they had, you know, three of the top people already as part of their staff who could teach it. So um, I never felt like, you know, they needed me, you know, to do that. And I was really happy... Uh, you know, being behind the scenes. I'm always been in, I'm happy in the role of helping people and that's where I think I've been doing this help desk stuff for, I don't know, geez, how many, 15 years or so now. Um, I really enjoy that. I really enjoy that opportunity to work one-on-one with people, even if it's just via email uh, and, and help them sort through things. I do like teaching too, but I think that I've seen, as, as a moderator, it's been really fortunate, I've got to see a lot of people teach. And sometimes people come to teach because they are well-known in an industry, not because they're good teachers.
0: Yeah, I, was, and I, I, I wasn't going to put you on the spot and yeah, say who's the worst you've seen, no, but I, no, I was going to say, and, being a moderator, you get to watch all right, Alan's watched loads of concert, for con- uh, loads of bands, doesn't make him a great guitarist. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but I, that was the thing I was going to say is you've had that experience of watching the kinds of people teach and what they're teaching is you must just absorb that and then get that thing one day, look up and think, do you know, what? I could have done that better.
1: Well, you, you know, you, you, every, well, everybody, everybody thinks that they could do it better. It doesn't mean they can. <laughs> yeah. And take that for anything, just... Pick anybody watching sports on a Sunday as they're yelling at the TV, thinking they could do it better. Doesn't mean that they can, but um, but I, you know you do a fortunate opportunity that you know presents when you're in that role as a moderator of watching not only the presenters present but also watching the audience react and then listening to them as they leave afterwards, and you can hear what people are saying like. They were coming out really jazzed, like, oh, yeah, that, that was awesome. I can't wait to do this concert photography and, 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 and take that home with them versus grumble, 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 you know, yeah. or they're leaving early or whatever. So, so, yeah, so you can kind of get a sense of that, and, and that does help if you take the opportunity to try to, to learn from that. Um, so when I've had the opportunity to be on that other side of being the, uh, a presenter, I do kind of try to keep that in mind. And the biggest part of it is managing expectations. And that might be true for a book or a teaching presentation or whatever it is you're doing is that if you can manage the expectations of your audience, people will come away usually with a positive uh, feeling of it because they went in expecting this, they got that, and maybe if you did a good job, they got more than they expected in a positive yeah. way and they leave happy. If you didn't manage those expectations because maybe just your title and description didn't match your material. Your material could be phenomenal material, but it wasn't what they were expecting, and they're going to be upset. And so uh, learning you know th- how important it is to match your uh, content with the expectation of what people are coming to get, I think is probably one of the biggest lessons I got out of all of that.
0: Were you nervous when you did your first one? I'm nervous uh, every single time before I do anything. Yeah, Yeah. I know when, I I know my first one when, you know, I I kind of had that thing where I started as the evangelist and got to know Nancy um, Massey at the beginning and gradually got to know the team. I was coming to Photoshop World, Glyn was kind of ahead of me and when I got to I uh, got asked to write my first magazine article I was absolutely stoked you know I was like god I'm writing them for the magazine that I've been buying for the last you know since 1999 and it that kind of evolved I proved I could do that and then I took a step back again and then uh, I think I did a video I think I went over and did two video classes and I was really nervous because I'm self-conscious about a couple of things and but it was nice. It was like, well, someone believes in me to do it. Scott believed in me to do it. I'll do it. I'm not going to let him down. And then my first Photoshop world was on the expo. It was that year that the, the expo was in a hallway. Oh my god! Yes. And yeah, <laughs> and I was tu- I was tucked in a corner by a fire exit, so people couldn't sit on the floor because they were blocking it. Yep. So, by I, I mean, I I don't know, fifty people. If I, I'll say fifty, it's probably between thirty-five and fifty. Um, I was just teaching InDesign. I, I was really nervous because it's like, wow, this is Photoshop World. I've never done public speaking before. I've never stood up on stage and done any kind of presentation, and here I am teaching a subject to a bunch of people. And Stacy Pearsall was came and sat in the sat there, and forty minute, I'd an hour. And forty minutes in, just as I'm about to do an actual presentation, the monitor just burns out. <laughs> the, the projector burns out, and. <laughs> it was like well if this is my last one i'll uh, i'll enjoy it and i kind of the last 20 minutes i th- I thought I were well, you there yeah Alan? you you
2: handled it really well
0: yeah I, I kind of thought well you know i've been around these people long enough i know i've seen these other instructors i've sat in the classes to see how they had the good ones manage it and i just talked to the crowd well i say crowd i talked to the people that were there and luckily enough i got good enough feedback that i got asked into a big boys room the following year and that was when i was really nervous because now you're going from like 30 people to potentially 100 150 200 and i think the first one was it was around 150 mark which i was really pleased with uh maybe a bit more and th- in that moment standing up on stage i mean Glenn was there to help me at the back it's always good to have a familiar face but i realized at that point is wow, this is something I'd never, ever considered doing, nor did I ever think I'd be asked to do, nor did I ever think I'd be an expert on anything enough to do it. And I'm actually gutted that first Photoshop well I didn't get asked back mm. because I really wanted to teach. I'm yep. still nervous. Yep. I still, you know, have to prepare. And I, I, and when you read those feedback forms, that just that one out of all the ones that came back, the one that cut me in yes. half was was the guy said, it looked like he put it together the night before. (laughs) Oh, Oh, my God. The things
1: people say. Oh,
0: dude.
2: I feel it. Two things. The the first one is, I'm never comfortable in front of a crowd. Um, I'd much rather deal with people one-on-one, which is why being a TA um, at Adobe Max is so much fun for me because I don't have to put together a lesson plan. I don't have to stand in front of a room. I don't, it's not me um so i've I've done it a couple of years now and and like rob teaches from the front he does a really good job i'm i have nothing to do i finally <laughs> you know i got one person in the back of the room who suddenly can't figure out you know where where a control is i get to go help them it's fine
0: but it's your job to help the people who, who rob can't teach very well right? <laughs> yeah but it,
2: but it, you know it and it works really well but when i first went in photoshop world um as an instructor when i was asked to come and do the concert pre-con and then i did one class on concert photography in the middle of the of the room uh i made my wife come with me and uh, (laughs) i was like i don't care what you do the rest of the time but when i'm presenting you're gonna sit right in the room three quarters way towards the back so that when i look up i can find you because you're gonna be my friendly face and then when i went to um orlando the next the next one she came with She didn't go to many of the ones after that, but those first two that I did, I made sure there was a friendly face sitting exactly where I knew they would be in the room. So when I looked up and I'm freaking out over A, all the people sitting there, and then B, because it's a giant room, all the empty seats around all those people sitting there, um, I could find someone that I I could look at and be like, okay, I'm okay. You're my support and, and it works. Now I try to do that when I'm a TA. If they're looking up and suddenly they see hands popping up in the air, they need the people who are helping out to do that. And it lets the instructors do a better job, I think. And I've done it. I've done it for both Rob and Mark Heaps and um, some other people who have not been on the podcast. And I'm not going to give them a plug because they haven't been on the podcast. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's a, it's a really interesting thing to – to be able to help people and you see that light bulb go off and you can do it from in front of the room or you can do it from the back of the room. But when suddenly someone gets it and to have that, yeah. even if it's a little thing, even if it's just like, Oh,
0: I, I didn't realize there was a shortcut for that. And I remember getting applause. I remember teaching something. I mean, uh, like teaching, it, you don't want to be stood up there and see like Matt or Scott in the audience <laughs> I know. in the so same much, way. I so didn't much, want to see Scott, yeah. but, it's just that those moments where you say something and all right you get a smile or you get that oh but i showed one technique in indesign and they all applauded me and i was only 20 minutes in <laughs> And and it felt so good yeah. and so weird because being English, we don't applaud anything. <laughs> <laughs> you could you could save my parents' life, and I'll give you a, 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 a little nod and a wink. So when they started applauding, it's like I can't let I can't get carried away with this because the next ten things I teach them could suck. <laughs> but but I know when Scott came in and for my first one I did, and he said, you know I know you're gonna crush it. I'm not gonna stay here. I'm gonna let you do it. I know you're gonna crush it and you know i just said the first thing i said to him was like i'm going to go easy i'm going to start with this technique and he looked at me and i went why do you look confused about that am i doing that wrong he just went i didn't know that i didn't know that that's how you do that <laughs> and i went you're kidding he goes i've been using indesign for 20 years i did not know that did that i said oh okay well then i'm going to go on to this other technique where a lot of people don't know this one and it's when you do this and he just looked at me and went You're gonna kill it. I don't know that one either. (laughs) So when I did my presentation, I I told that story and said I call this the technique that even Scott Kelby didn't know, and and it was really it was really nice because it was like wow I've just taught Scott something. I will drop the mic and walk out now. So from the education from that, Rob, I mean, did you did you get that taste for uh, Adobe Max comes along and which is the mothership? You're the man.
1: Well, you know, it's really, I, I just feel, I just look back and I feel really fortunate for all the opportunities that were presented to me that I said yes to, even if they scared the shit out of me. Can I say yeah. that on a podcast? Yeah, know? yeah, you can. <laughs> um, because by taking those opportunities, taking those leaps, feeling all that anxiety, you know, and stress, but but following through and getting it done, you know, that's what, kind of leads you to the next thing and potentially the next relationship potentially the next thing you know so there's um, you know a wonderful person in you know in the industry Kathy Scabetta that we that we know uh. right? and she's wonderful and I I have been really fortunate to get to do a number of uh, events with her and um, and that's she's been fantastic and she has been someone who's hired me for, for many more but it's all because of all the other things that I did before with these, with these other yeah. people, you know, that all kind of build up to that. And I don't think I've ever felt as nervous as, as I did for Adobe max because it was so big, you know, there's 14,000, whatever people there. I was so grateful that I knew so many people there that I had Alan, you know, that was my friendly face uh, in the audience. And there were so many other people that I've gotten to know over all these years who were also there. And, and that that definitely helps, but for me, I find that that nervousness, you know, it means that I care, I care about my perform, my performance, my my lesson, my audience. You know, I care that they're gonna walk away feeling like it was a good use of their time. I hate wasting people's time. Hmm. Um, but once once it starts, then all that kind of goes away. That anxiety fades away, and then I'm just in it, and then it, and then it all of a sudden. The time is over, and I'm like, oh my god, I, I can't believe I just got through the whole thing, you know, in that amount of time. You know what you're saying about you know with Scott is what I find about most people who in the photography world, you know, where I help them with Lightroom, is that someone will say, well, I've been using Lightroom, you know, for since the beginning, and I feel really comfortable with it, and and that's true, and they do, but like any of us who use something all the time is we we have our own little narrow path that we have carved out that gets us from point A to point B and it works. And I don't know anything else on either side of this narrow path as long as I can do my narrow path and I get the job done. And then all of a sudden they get exposed to, oh, could you do it this way? Or this is how this could work. Or if you just, you know, set this up, then that part is automatic or whatever the thing is. And they're like, oh my God, I never knew that. And that's the opportunity you have as, a, as an educator, is to, especially if you're the one who's, you know, not only, I feel like I benefit as a user of the product, obviously, but where the big benefit that I feel like I'm able to give back is because I've been helping so many other photographers over the years who have vastly different workflows than I do, who, who shoot much different content. And so like Alan, he's like, he's actually my, example i use for someone who uses multiple lightroom catalogs because i think i say my friend alan he's a concert photographer and i have this whole story that i tell which maybe is mostly true but you know it gets the point across that there are scenarios where it makes sense to have multiple catalogs and this is this is the kind of thing you would need to kind of check those boxes off and if the, if you do then that works for you right and then i could so i I benefit from these conversations and these experiences I have from talking to the people about their workflows and learning that there's there's more than one right way to do lots of things. And then I can bring that experience back to people who are trying to learn things and I can say, hey, you're not doing it wrong per se, but here if you do it like this and it makes more sense and now you have uh, you know, a path to follow. And then it's like, yeah, then those lights go on and they come away feeling Better for having had that uh, exchange.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about your photography now. That's enough about teaching other people. <laughs> okay. <Yep. laughs> so you obviously live in a beautiful environment. You know your way around the camera. You've written a book or two. You know how to use Lightroom. Tell us about your your photography experience. Just rob the photographer. What what kind of gets you up in the morning and goes I want to go here I want to shoot that do you do you just purely shoot for I know because I'm gonna ask about the stocksy thing so we'll come on to that but do you like to shoot for yourself do you have clients do you shoot for stock have you found like what's your reason to go out there and do it all I know it seems a silly question No, it's a good
1: question and you know I feel I feel really fortunate so you know back to the way I got into this to begin with because I got a digital camera and I fell in love with it and I fell in love with this ability to create images out of out of nothing really right and you can walk around all of a sudden you're seeing your environment in ways that maybe you didn't even notice before because now you're paying attention and then I got into doing outdoor education and because I love being outdoors and I love that opportunity to get outside and be in the world and observe it. And that's really how I got into photography and that's what I've tried to hold on to all this time. And so, in all the things that all of a sudden became a career that I didn't actually set out to plan that way, (laughs) to be (laughs) honest, um, I I always kind of considered myself a professional amateur in that I do it for the love of it in terms of the subject matter but I feel like over the years I've developed a skill set that I can help professionals do. And I certainly earn money from my photography, it's not the primary way that I do, Uh, but because of all these other opportunities I've created or been exposed to, I can create images for books. I can create images that I need, as Alan was saying, when you have to demonstrate certain technique, I can create the images so I can use those in a book. Or I can use those in a blog post or I can use those in a video um, or I can use those to license for stock or whatever those things are I'm creating content that I can use and then as much as I can over the years I try to remember as much as you can leverage your content in multiple ways you're just paying yourself twice or three times or more and so if you can create images that you need to fit a certain use in a book or tutorial or whatever you're writing chances are someone else could use that image too for their content, for the things they're creating. And so there's an opportunity to leverage that. And If I'm writing a blog post, maybe that could become a lesson in Photoshop world, or this book could become this other thing, or whatever those things are, I'm always reusing and repurposing and releveraging that content. Much of it is help desk questions that I was getting over the years. I would say, oh boy, if this person's asking this question, a lot of people might have this question, there's a blog post or there's something I can use to pitch for an idea for a session or something like that. And so when it comes to photography, my choice of subject matter has predominantly been whatever it is that I want to shoot that gets me to go outside. And for a number of years, some other Photoshop World folks, uh, Jeff Leinbach and Randy Van Dynan, uh were doing uh, digital photo workshops. And for a number of years, we would go out with groups, and usually we'd try to bring in guest instructors like Rick Salmon or Ben Wilmore or um, uh, Dave Black, uh, and we'd go off to national parks and shoot images. And I love that, and I would use those images in my books, and I would use those images for stock, and I would really enjoy the opportunity of just being out in in the world. Um, and so, you know, where that brings me today, w- when over these, over these last 30-plus days of being stay, staying safe at home, um, uh, a local outdoor wilderness-based education program that um, my son has been a part of as a participant and I've been a big supporter of uh, issued what they call a 30-day sit-spot challenge where you basically oh, yeah. find a place to go and sit outside by yourself for 15 minutes and observe whatever the heck's happening around you. Now, you might live in an urban area or a suburban area or in the woods where I am, and I'm pretty much in the sticks. But wherever it is that you live, you go out there and observe. And chances are, if you go to that same place every day around the same time, you're going to start to see things that you didn't see before. And it wasn't because they weren't there. It's just because now you're noticing (laughs) and you're paying attention. And just the other day, on on Earth Day, I think, Alan, you probably saw, maybe Dave, you saw too, on Facebook, I shared this. I was off to my sit spot on the 32nd day in a row that I went, which is only about 200 steps in my backyard that I am gesturing towards right now, but um, and on my way out there in the woods, um, all in my head, because I had to come back for a Zoom meeting uh, at whatever it was, the six o'clock that evening, and I needed to go do my spot, and i blundering through the woods. All of a sudden, a few feet in front of me, it caught my eye. There was a barred owl sitting in a tree, and it flew off, right? In front of me, but it only landed just a few feet further down the trail in another tree, and it was just looking at me. And so, what do I do? (laughs) I pull out my camera immediately without even thinking. I just pull out my phone, which is in my pocket all the time, and I start recording. And I ended up spending about five minutes, literally, with this owl, uh, and just recording it and talking to it, taking pictures of it. And that's that for me is like what brings me out into the world for photography is those opportunities that. It draws me out and, and into the world and I can now, and capture it and experience it and may potentially share it with other people too. Um, but that's, that's what I love the most. I do uh, occasionally get asked to do portraits you know, for seniors. I have neighborhood you know, kids and things like that and I'm happy to do those. Um, but for me, photography has always really been, uh, and I've really tried to protect as this thing that I love to do for the sake of doing it and if I can also then use that to help other people to learn from myself uh, or to uh, earn uh, an income stream from, then I try to do that too.
0: That's cool. Where did, so talking about stock photography, because we've had Matt Hayward on, who obviously works for Adobe, What's you, and you, you're obviously working at iStock. You have an involvement. I don't know if it's still current, but you were there at the beginning of Stocksy.
1: Yeah. So... Um, I have to say, Matt Hayward, I love Matt. He's a wonderful guy. Amazing. Another concert photographer, although he certainly does a lot more than just concerts, but he's a wonderful, talented guy. Um, I I don't do anything more with iStock Photo. So iStock Photo was owned by this um, great guy, uh, Bruce, Bruce Livingstone. And Bruce is who sold to, uh, to Getty Images back in 2006. Uh, About three years or so later, um, his time with that he was held on to after that sale expired and then a couple years more went by. And he and uh, his wife at the time decided to create um, a new stock photography uh, opportunity that was based around a a co-op model where the photographers, the contributors, we actually actually owned a piece of the company, and they set Stocksy up. Stocksy United is the full name, but Stocksy.com is as, as a co-op for photographers, so that it couldn't be sold to a Getty Images. And mm. uh, Stocksy is really set up, uh, you know, has a has a board. Uh, all the contributors are members of the co-op and and um, have a say in things and vote. We, uh, Stoxy does well, we get a dividend. It's very, it's a really different model than a lot of places that are out there now. Um, And what's nice about it is the the revenue split um, is a much fairer one uh, at at, uh, uh, 50-50. And then we have what's called an extended license uh, for certain things, like if someone wants to do an extended print run or um, a product for resale, that kind of thing. Uh, then we get seventy-five percent of that, uh, which can come out to be you know a nice chunk of change, um, in in that and those tra- in those transactions. So uh, it's been a really kind of a, a breath of fresh air. After my experience with iStock photo towards the end, I was pretty burnt down on it to be honest, and uh, I ended up actually quitting uh, because the they changed the model that they used for paying contributors and. My role at the time, similar to Matt Hayward's role uh, in Adobe Stock, in that I was uh, kind of a liaison to the contributors, and when I learned of this change uh, to the royalty structure, I quit. I quit that day, and I just walked away from it because I was so the, just disgusted by this blatant change uh, to basically put photographer's money in the pocket of giddy images. And um, and they, you know, they saw photographers as uh, an inexhaustible supply, and um, and I, I just didn't like it. And I didn't I didn't want any part of it. So so I was pretty kind of I was pretty really kind of burned out on it. But then when Bruce started this up, uh, and I was talking to him about it, and he's like, Hey, would you like to be part of this? And I was like, Yeah, that sounds that sounds much more photographer friendly <laughs> than anything I've ever heard. So uh, it's been really. Um, Really interesting and wild to see, uh, and be a part of, and because you know it's such a small industry, small world, and all these people. You know, I knew of Matt at the time. I didn't really know him now. I do, and I love him, and I think he's wonderful. And what he's doing at Adobe Stock is, on the contributor's behalf, is just phenomenal. Uh, and then interestingly, you know, small world-wise, uh, the person who took on the who was filled in the role. Um, I forget her exact title, but. Um, basically heading up the Adobe Stock effort is is Brianna, who's the same person who founded Stocksy. Uh, that was uh, Bruce's wife at the time. So it's a very small world, uh, lots of people whose paths have and crossed o- over the years. And, and and the fact that she's at Adobe Stock now is really wonderful. She has a very different vision for things and um, and she really did a, a wonderful um, job at, at Stocksy. In, in, of taking it to the place that it was so um i you know you just never know where the people that you meet along the way are going to end up and you know it kind of goes back to the importance of the relationships that you make you know with people in whatever industry you're in and how um, you want to treat people with respect at all times and and understand uh you know that that's how it goes both ways, you know, and you just never know who you're going to be sitting across in a podcast with or whatever, you know, uh, You know, down the road.
2: Well, So there's a lot of photographers who are sitting at home right now uh, and not doing anything because we're not allowed out. Or in my case, there are no concerts, there are no events. Right. I, I yeah. lost all that in about an hour one day last month. So um, all those guys now sitting around thinking, well, wait a minute. People are still buying stock images and still doing stuff. So like what are like what are three like really quick things that you would suggest photographers do right now to get involved in stock? What should they be looking at? What should they be thinking about? You know, and, and how would you tell them where to start, where to go? Um, you know, yeah,
1: well, the best the most important thing you can do is start with what you know and what you know may vary you know and i don't just mean about photography i mean about what else in your world do you know something about um do you have hobbies do you have sports do you have a family member who has an interesting vocation because you know for photographers you know access is really what it's all about right as a concert photographer having access to being shooting a concert is how you become a concert photographer um whatever you have access to and you have knowledge of is what you might be able to create content around f- for stock purposes. What you have to think about with stock that's different than photography um, is if someone hires you as a, as a client uh, for a portrait or something, is that you're creating a raw material for someone else to use and something that you have no idea what that thing is going to be. could be a book, could be a blog post, could be an annual report, could be a church newsletter, who knows what it could be. So you've got to create some kind of content that communicates a message as clearly as possible uh, about whatever that thing is. And so if you start with what you know, then you're somewhat of an expert on that thing, that subject matter thing. So take you know beekeeping or something like that, that I have some as a hobby that's totally related to, unrelated to photography, but you know the language that is used in that industry. You know how people wear the clothing in that industry. You know whatever it is. So if you think of like, the most cliche bad stock images, you know, think of like the doctor wearing a white coat with a stethoscope, right? It's like the most cliche doctor thing. And you know that person is not a doctor. You know that's some model that <laughs> got hired or it was the person's brother or mother or sister or whatever that they pulled in front of the camera. But think about how images get used in whatever industry they're intended to be used in. They're being used by professionals in that industry. The people who look at that and they immediately know that when you're holding up a test tube, it's not orange and glowing yellow, you know, to say it's a virus in there, right? You know, they, they, those people know what that stuff is supposed to look like. And so you wanna to cater to that audience. So how do you know that audience? Well, look at the magazines, look at the trade magazines. For every hobby, sport, thing, you probably can look around your house. There's a magazine or some trade development group about that thing. And they put out materials. Even if it's all online, as so many things are these days, go look through those things, those advertisements for, those, for that industry, whatever it is. That's the content you want to, to cater to if that's the route you're going to go down. Don't try to think, well, what's really hot in stock photography? Well, what's really hot is vaccine research or whatever the thing is you think is really hot. You can't create good content on that if you don't have access, if you don't under, if you don't understand it, if you don't have a subject matter expert who can look at that and help you direct the set and and find the right material. Pick the thing that you know that you have access to, that you have understand the language, because the other part of stock photography that is even more important than the images are your keywords. Right? That's how people find your stuff in stock world, is they do a search. With some words, they type into a search engine, and the people searching know that whatever that subject matter is. So you want to speak that language, and you want to use those keywords, and you have to understand, you know, that it's not just a blue jar, right? It's a vial, or it's a test, it's a test tube, or whatever the right word. I don't even know. That's not my thing, right? So you got to know the right words for that industry, and you've got a keyword accordingly. Because if people can't find your stuff. It could be the best thing ever, but it'll never get licensed. So you've got to create content that is directed towards that audience. And you've got to be able to keyword it accordingly. And you've got to know something about it. So you can write the title and description that goes along with it, uh, with those keywords.
0: Yeah, we'd said in the previous episode about, uh, like, go back and look through your hard drive, what you've got. All those shots you took of, like, you go out and do those landscape shots. and You maybe took 20 of the same scene. One of them just resonated and you've got 19 more that you never binned. Go back and re-edit that. You know, this, you might have shot that six years ago. Go and try something, try an experiment and experiment and think about, could you know, then, I mean, what I know I do when I'm looking for stuff is, if I'm doing logo design, is go and search for the thing you think Absolutely. you want to put in stock and see, see how many there are. See how popular they are. What, what you know, what's the most pop- Do the search filter by most popular. Um, and then you'll get a taste for, because there could be 20 shots of the famous arches or the, you know, the Eiffel tower, but one of them will just resonate with someone because it's got people in, or it's got an umbrella or, so you might think it's, it's not the best one, but it it might just have the right color sky for the day.
1: The challenge of going through your existing library, which is what everyone does. and There's nothing, certainly nothing wrong with it. And what better place to start than what you already have? The problem with that is that you may find is that because you didn't shoot it with stock in mind, it's not gonna be a good fit. And you may not have model releases for the people that show up in it. Or there may be other intellectual property concerns like a a logo, a billboard, a bottle of Coke, or whatever the thing is that is in uh, that, that image that you thought was an amazing image and may very well be an amazing image. But because it wasn't created with stock in mind, It may get rejected for this other reason that you're like, what? It's an awesome image. Why wouldn't they want this? Um, And so you you have to develop a bit of a thick skin like Alan's experience with his editor. You have to take the feedback that you get and you may disagree with it and that may be fair, but you have to understand that people who are the gatekeepers and pretty much any stock contributing opportunity you will have, some human being is going to view that content and be the gatekeeper that says yes or no. To that content. And they've been looking at thousands and thousands and thousands of images, and they're spending three seconds looking at yours, right? And they're making a judgment based on all of that experience to say yes or no. And I was in that role for iStock Photo for many years as a gatekeeper. And I got to tell you, it's a lot easier to say yes. I'd much rather say yes, because if you have to say no, you have to come up with a reason. Right. Yeses are easy. <laughs> right. Yes is like, yes, that's awesome. Yes. Get the heck in there. No. All right. Why is it a no? Well, it's got this intellectual property. No
0: comes with no because. Right.
1: And, yeah. um, and so, uh, you know, the people in and that and the gatekeeping role, they want yes. They want yes. They want your good stuff. Right. But no slows them down because now they've got to come up with that. But um, so you want to be you want to be a good editor yourself. And, and that takes time, I think, to become a good self-editor. Because uh, when we look at our own work, especially if it's recent work, we're, we're still in the moment. You know? We're still enjoying that concert, enjoying that experience, feeling the warm breeze on our face, or whatever was happening when you, when you watch that sunrise and you're drinking your coffee and you're taking that picture. You know, you're, you're feeling all that and you're like, oh yeah, that's awesome. But the person viewing it, they're totally objective.
0: They see yeah, I was gonna say someone was it Scott or someone said they like, don't give a crap how you got exactly. there. They don't give a crap. It took you seven hours to get exactly. there, and you'd left your, your parents' funeral <laughs> to be. You know, is all they see is is a mountain and the sun exactly. and some trees. It's like, do they like it? Do they not? Exactly. They don't care anything about why it happened.
1: And so, um, so you've got to you've got to kind of go in with that mindset, and you also have to understand that there's a lot of low hanging fruit, right? And guess what. We're all home, we're all stuck at home, we're all looking at that low-hanging fruit because it's right there. Uh, so you're going to compete in that sea of sunsets at the beach, of dogs and cats and you know all that stuff that's within arm's reach that you have dominion upon. Um, and yes, everyone else is shooting that content too. So you, if you're shooting that content, you've got to make it be really unique and stand out from that. From that crowd, and that's not easy to do. But you have to go back to thinking like, I'm communicating a message. This isn't just a picture of a cat. This is about being lonely. This is about being playful. This is about um, being cozy in a little nook. Whatever the thing, whatever the other message is that someone could use your image to convey. That's that's a stock image, okay? Someone yes, yeah. the encyclopedia might need a picture of a cat cuz god they've never seen one of those before, right? <laughs> no, they want somebody wants for their ad a picture of interaction or play or anger or Sadness or whatever those things are. That's what you want to have in your, in your images for stock. Yeah.
0: So go out there and start trying to get those hugging groups as soon as <laughs> yeah, you can. Exactly. Because <laughs> well, news, newspapers are going to be wanting that. Well, you know what
1: I'm saying? So I have a lot of friends in the industry, and they're, they're creating content of people in masks. Right? They're, one, of yeah. the, one of the contributors on Stocksy, who I know, she's based down in Florida. She got one of those big inflatable bubbles that you go inside of. Transparent, you know, big clear.
0: Yeah, bubble. yeah. Zorb.
1: And she had pictures of her walking down the street in this big bubble, oh. and then going up to like meet someone outside, and like she's got her hand on the bubble, you know. So people are starting to create content for the times, and that's um, that's what you want to do. You want to you want to anticipate what's coming, and you want to create content that looks authentic, right? It has to have that authenticity, so that it can be used in that in that in that realm but yeah think about it. look what I mean we are we are inundated with imagery right. and, and of, of what's going on and so you think about that and think about what's coming you know try to be ahead of the curve and um, you're there's gonna be some misfires there but you know that's that at least gets you creating right anytime you're creating that's good and that's going to take you to creating more and and that's what you got to think about is like how do I get that train moving and and. and and creating content that takes me to the next thing
2: so, so you really are thinking like a designer and how it can be used more than just yeah. oh i gotta get another picture of my dog you're like let's figure out what can actually be used you know and that your background really feeds into that i mean it's uh it's kind of a weird mindset to think about because i'm i'm like let's take the picture then figure out what we're going to use it for (laughs) as opposed to let's figure out what we need to use and then go and capture that it's a it's a real flipping that whole concept on its head it's uh you got it
0: yeah alan also knows i'm not going to give away my secrets now but i will tell you off air but i've got an idea for a class that you've kind of just talked about and 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 in that conversation alan actually came up with because i'd love to teach at adobe max and again i know kathy and she got me the ta gig and now i've got the book i sort of hoping well the more things you add to it you might just get that one one day and alan actually came up with the class that i would want to teach at adobe max and it, it is based around the whole fit for purpose photography kind of thing So, so to to round this, has been a brilliant episode. I've I've absolutely loved this, and I'm not even a photographer. (laughs) Uh, to to kind of round it up, then Rob, obviously, in other circumstances, we'll be talking about where are you going next, what are you doing. (laughs) Looking at the let's say the next six months, given given the regular news that comes from the president telling people what to do, um, we won't go into politics. (laughs) What, what? now you've had this period of time, I mean, you are out in the sticks, so you're not like in, in amongst the masses. What, what's your plan for like the next six months? How, cause obviously I know Alan's situation, but you know, he's, his events based. What's your kind of contingency plan now for the next sort of three to six months, knowing the situation as it is that we, that we're not going to be going to, to places.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm fortunate in that I've been working from home, except when I'm traveling uh, for 15 years now. So a lot of this transition has been easy for me because I'm, I'm, ho- I'm home all the time when I'm not on the road. Um, what I've been doing more of is just online stuff. And so uh, our friend Dave Cross um, pulled together in a record amount of time, this amazing Photoshop Summit that he pulled in, I think 19 to 20 other instructors. Uh, and we created content and put on this thing and it was amazing. Uh, yeah, it was fantastic. It was amazing that he pulled this together, and so I feel really fortunate to have been a part of that. Uh, Scott and Kelby One are pulling together uh, a Lightroom conference, and so that's happening May yeah. fifth and sixth, and it's going to be two days, and that's going to be live streamed. So uh, we're going to be doing. Um, I think there's six different instructors, like uh, Scott, of course, and. Uh, Christy, Christy Shirk, and Matt, you, Serge, and Serge Ramelli, and Terry, and Terry White, of course. And um, yeah. and so we're going to be doing uh, two days of of live content, two different tracks of uh, Lightroom content. And um, I'm doing, I think, three classes now, and I think there's some kind of Q and A part. So two full days of a lot of bandwidth getting up from my uh, internet. Hmm. Um, and and I, you know, what's funny? When I did that Photoshop Summit. I did, I did a class that I, I love to do, I want to do, but it's not a sexy class. So it doesn't, people don't usually want me to do it um, because it's not an entertaining class. It's uh, down in the nitty gritty kind of class. And uh, it's really about just taking control of your Lightroom Classic Catalog and making sure that you're the one making decisions and, and you know where stuff is. And so I did that session and I've gotten so much email I've done 4 one-on-one video chat sessions this week with different photographers after they saw that and they want they want help <laughs> to try and get it. And I've always resisted doing the one-on-one, you know, kind of training thing because I I didn't have time for it and I was like, I don't know how to price this so that it's fair cuz I feel really like I know photographers are not the most rich and famous people in the world. I just Mm-hmm. It's a gut feeling I have. And so I feel <laughs> I feel really sensitive. I, I, I want to be valuable to their time, but I also realize right now people aren't working. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to prey yeah. on that. But I also, people are like, hey, we want help. Um, so I've been trying to work that out. And, and it's been, I, right before this session, I almost, I had to like end it because I was like, I have another thing at three. We we, we talked for almost two hours and, uh, and people seem to be really eating that up. So I think I'm going to probably do more of that um, and try to space that out and figure out how to how to make that work for me and for the people I'm helping. Obviously, I'm still writing, you know, uh, for the blog and uh, Lightroom Killer Tips and my own on Lightroomers.com. So I'm trying to, you know, just find, you know, as I, you know, said, you know, earlier, it's like try to find more multiple income streams. I teach at a local community college. My semester is going to be wrapping up here in two weeks. I usually don't teach the summer session because I'm traveling and doing things with the family. So maybe revis- revisiting that uh, decision if that's possible. It's all online. I had to move my my two classes. I teach an intro to Photoshop class and an intro to digital photography class through the community college, and uh, and that you know those two classes transitioned pretty well to an online format. So that that wasn't too hard. Adobe really came through big time because all of my students. It's a community college, so this is not you know, not super rich people taking these classes. Mm. And so every little bit of, you know, especially in this environment, money that they didn't have to spend is really important. Well, the, the way most of these students take it, this these are usually Gen Ed classes in this. this. These are not future professional photographers. So they don't have Photoshop. They don't have the, the, the subscription. They get it through the lab. So they come into the school and they sit in the computer lab, and that's how they have access to the software. Well, Adobe during this time extended if you if you log into their software through the lab environment they allowed students to do that from home through the end of this semester and so now all of a sudden these students in my in all in my two classes they could experience this at home instead of having to come into the lab where it wasn't safe so they adobe really saved these two classes for me because i i couldn't ask them even for two months to 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 spend Twenty bucks more yeah, yeah. Uh, to do it, so that was really great. But I don't know what's going to happen because that that ends at this semester. So I don't, I don't, I really don't know what the next, what the summer session is going to look like or what the fall session is going to look like in that regard. I have currently, at least on the book on the calendar, plans to go do some more events starting in September, and I, even Adobe Max, you know, in October. Yeah, I mean, and, and I just that's right, and I just don't know, just don't know.
0: Yeah, we because we had the photography show cancelled uh, in March, uh, middle of March, and it was touch and go at the time. It was just breaking, and it, is this is this dangerous? Should we be doing it? And then it was before the government said, no, like, no people gathering, and they they made the call, didn't do it. The, probably, the, you know, not even probably. It was the best call they made that they, they shouldn't have gone ahead. Um, that's been rescheduled for September. Now, it's likely the event over here could go on in september as long as we don't get a second wave of what's going on in inside of me i feel like i think every event should have just written off 2020 because we don't know where we're going to be september adobe had already cancelled adobe max europe they'd already cancelled events in the uk smaller events you know you've now got you guys are kind of going through a different phase of it because you're a bigger country it's going to take longer right. to to spread yeah. um that come october people might not even want to go right. to an event where there's 15 to 18 sure. to a million thousand yeah. people
1: understandably right yeah of
0: course it could be the smallest attendance you know adobe mat and then that's not good for adobe Matt. right so i think for me personally having now you know i work from home i work full-time we're a software company uh while we you know are continuing to to still sell products it's great but even i've been saying to people don't try and think what can i do to fill the time till i can go back and do what i used to do you might not be able to go back and do what you used to do so you've got to start thinking now ahead of the curve well, what can I do that I can convert what I used to do into a different revenue stream? Exactly. Um, because it could take a while for you know, and Alan especially is going to feel it because it's. Do people want to go to concerts? I mean, right. <laughs> some some of the some of the kinds of people that go to some of the kinds of concerts will be would go tomorrow if they Absolutely. could, yeah. um, but you know, it's going to be a slow build back for Alan because people aren't. Aren't going to have the trust of, do I want to be in amongst thousands of people anymore? Right. So, I think, so I think it's a very, very strange time, Indeed. uh, f- especially in photography because, you know, you rely on mostly rely on going out or shooting people. And right at the, this moment, it's, it's a tough one to do. Yes. So, uh, so where can people find you, Rob? Where's, where do you want to direct them? To? Uh, so, if,
1: uh, dot com is my, my own little
0: nook, uh, where I have, uh, Lightroom
1: related content up there. Uh, Lightroom Killer Tips is Scott's Lightroom blog that I contribute to every week, so I've got more content there because I get paid to do that. <laughs> so I, I forgot yeah. That. Uh, and then just my own photography blog is just robsylvan.com But you can you know if anyone wants to reach me, that those are probably and then my social media is linked through, from all of those too, so you can find me uh, yeah you know, all, the, cool. all the usual places
0: we'll put all the links on on the Thank show you. notes anyway but right rob it's been absolute pleasure talking to you i've just sat here like i just could talk for another hour no, it's been great
1: <laughs> and i was so pleased to see alan i really i miss uh, seeing i you know, i figured at this point i may have seen at least one of you if, if photoshop world had happened maybe both right. of you, and definitely uh was looking forward hopefully still looking forward to seeing alan adobe max in october yeah
0: and uh Oh well, I'll be there if it's if it's on. I'll be yeah, there. It's yeah. it's just a case of whether I'm allowed to get on a plane and so much, and whether they're open yeah, the door. so doors. much I know.
1: I, I'm supposed to be doing with my son. I, I'm a I'm a, a adult advisor on a Boy Scout trip to Philmont Scout Ranch in New Mexico for two weeks in July, and so Ooh. we've been practicing and training for that, and we're waiting until May first to hear the decision. And I, I mean, I, I just don't know how it can happen, but you know my son was supposed to go two years ago on the same trip but that's the year new mexico was basically on fire and they had to cancel their whole summer program (laughs) and so here he is he got another slot two years later and now we have a global pandemic so i maybe it's his fault i don't don't know but (laughs) well
0: there's if you ever get extra hours in the day rob i'm sure there's always space for a monthly lightroom podcast there you go yeah right yeah Just, just just keep thinking about adding those strings that's it. That's to that it. bow. It. It. But no, thank you very much, Rob, and also thank you, Alan, for for being my co-host yeah. tonight. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've got a couple more coming up that I think I might need you for. So, um, but no, Rob, it's great to see you, it's mate. Great you and, thank you. And it's good hearing a lot more about you than I than I thought I knew. I appreciate, so, I appreciate the opportunity. So, I hope you
1: guys stay healthy and well, and I look forward to seeing you both in person as soon as that's physically allowed
0: yeah <laughs> well i just saw it just before we go there was i took a screenshot it was a news report like you, you go on a website and then there's they've got these ads at the bottom and uh this will apply to you I'll, i would just read it out because i sent it to my friend and said well that's me, that's me now categorizes elderly it <laughs> said um sit there's a picture of an a really old man in a flat cap in a street badly photoshopped and it says, seniors born before 1969 are snapping up this new benefit. <laughs> and it's like, Geez. I'm now a senior. Oh my God, that's all of us, isn't it? it oh. I know. How? And then, the, and then the, the government have said that now they're they told over 70s to stay in. And, uh, and now it's um, coronavirus isolation rules must apply to all over 50s because they face high risk of death. <laughs> So millions of Brits in their 50s and 60s should be isolating like older people <laughs> to protect oh, <laughs> I'm, <a>, <laughs> well, I'm a pensioner. Yeah.
1: It's not fair. It was, I want to
2: get back to how old you actually think I am. <laughs> <It's> like,
1: <laughs> yeah. I was, well, I'm at the age where I think everyone is either my age, much, much older, or a kid. It's kind of it. It's like either you're 100, you're 10, or you're 50. That's kind mm-hmm. of the cutoff is for
0: me. Yeah, well, we're just in our fifties. Yeah, that's, that's where I'm putting you. in you and into I,
1: my category. Yeah.
0: As we and, I, and I'm the oldest man in the room, so that, so I'm happy with that. If you took that.
1: all of our collective grays together, <laughs> it would be <laughs> quite a bit. Yeah.
0: It would. All right. Thank you very much, Rob, and uh, and hopefully we'll see you soon and uh, stay safe and well, yeah, mate. You too. Thanks, guys. Right. Thanks. Cheers. <laughs>